electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Today, three 1% swings in just the first hour of NASDAQ trade. Where do you look to for buys? Then Microsoft beating estimates yet again, thanks to strength in the cloud from gaming to PCs. We'll get a breakdown of where things may be headed from here. Finally, a check-in on the Bitcoin bandwagon after a slew of celebrities agreed to take their salary in Bitcoin during its rise. As prices are cut in half, who pays that bill? That's coming up this hour, John. Yeah, and checking in on the market stock on pace for their best day of the year so far, perhaps, given the NASDAQ's recent performance. The index still down about 12% since the start of the month and the year. That's its worst January performance on record ever. But we are seeing some life today with a bunch of yesterday's biggest losers looking to claw back some games. And that's uh, cloud names, semiconductors, fintech, uh, more, all up this morning, D. It's a long session ahead of us, John, and we have seen some serious volatility. Uh, Let's kick things off with Microsoft. In the green this morning, helping power the Nasdaq higher after beating estimates, thanks to some big strength in the cloud. Revenue for the overall segment coming in 32% higher year over year. Azure growing by 46%. Also a huge number, but that is down slightly from last quarter's 48%. Investors are also keeping an eye on comments around the company's planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard as its subscription gaming service Game Pass hitting 25 million subscribers. Another double-digit growth area for the company. Uh, Choose your own adventure here, John. Where do you want to go from this? So much to digest. There was that huge after-hour swing on guidance, <laughs> gaming, uh, revenue up almost, makes up almost 11% of Microsoft's total revenue now. Also, uh, that Nadella talking about a PC renaissance. Did you see that one coming? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've seen that PC renaissance narrative taking shape for a while here with Windows 11 coming out. Not a surprise, but yeah, that after-hour swing really caught my eye because that 46% um, Azure growth number was a little bit better than stated expectations, but light of what the whisper numbers were, right? And we saw uh, the stock down a a little over 5% at one point after hours, but then it popped on guidance. We're not necessarily used to getting this kind of guidance consistently from Microsoft with the idea that they're saying in the current quarter uh, you're going to see better growth. Uh, Better growth, apparently, uh, particularly for cloud, is what investors wanted to see. And you had a strong reversal there. So um, count this inconclusive for me, right? Because, Carl, I wanted to see how if Microsoft beats, but just not enormously, uh, that would impact kind of sentiment. We saw a, a little bit of an impact after hours, but then they sweetened it. And we saw even more of an impact. I'm looking forward to Apple, for sure. 
Uh, yeah, hopefully uh, the call begins a little bit uh, sooner than the print on uh, than it did for Microsoft. But got some new metrics on Teams, uh, D, 270 million MAUs, 20 million more than in July. But as you point out, PCs, gaming, cloud, security. Uh, we'll, we'll find out more about the metaverse and Activision. But all these roads continue to lead back <laughs> to this one name, which a lot of people yeah. argue has carried the market on its back for a long time. Yeah, there's always just so much to digest uh, with this set of earnings, particular uh, Teams, Carl, which you mentioned. We're going to dive into that as well. Uh, remember, we had uh, Todd McKinnon on yesterday, John, saying that despite what the popular narrative may be, the competition in this space with Zoom and Slack, a lot of his customers are actually using all of them. What does that mean long term if budgets sort of detract and you have to choose between them? Is Teams really as strong as it is on the surface? What does it mean for Zoom and Slack? All these interesting questions in many different spaces from enterprise to gaming that Microsoft brings up each quarter. Yeah, historically, it's meant uh, some consolidation or perhaps strength for companies that have a broad portfolio of products and can say, well, you're already buying this and this from us. Why not mm -hmm. stick with that as well? But, you know, now the mega scale cloud providers, the, the hyperscalers also have these platforms uh, where they offer multiple different pieces of software, so maybe the calculus changes. Let's zero in more on Microsoft and bring in City Senior Equity Research Analyst Tyler Radke, who raised his price target on the stock from 376 to 386 on the results. Tyler, welcome. What, what do you Morning. make of the after-hours move, if anything, as it indicates uh, what investor sentiment, uh, how it's reacting to a, a big, reliable stock like Microsoft? Yeah, it was quite the uh, aftermarket performance on the stock yesterday. Um, you know, I think what you're seeing is, is, is a bit of a sigh of relief across the, the tech sector. And as you mentioned earlier, I think the key was that Azure growth, while disappointing in the quarter, was expected to actually reaccelerate um, by one to two points next quarter. And one of the metrics that really stood out to us on the quarter was the commercial bookings number. So that's kind of more your leading indicator in terms of what customers are expected to spend in the future. That number was up 37% year over year at constant currency. One of the strongest performances we've seen in, in years, even if you normalize for the uh, easy comp. So we think the combination of the, the really strong commercial bookings, the acceleration in, in Azure really just proves that uh, the, the tailwinds that are driving Microsoft business should continue uh, into Q3 and beyond. And, and I think that's why you're seeing um, a little bit of a relief rally across the software sector. Now, the price target that you have on Microsoft is, is higher than its all-time high, but um, to what degree do you think these tech stocks are getting re-rated? Yeah, well, it's interesting for Microsoft, right? I think there, there's a lot of concerns out there in, in the software uh, world of you know, high multiple stocks that are trading on you know, revenue multiples without any earnings, um, you know, Microsoft has a great combination of growth and high margin businesses. And I mean, you know, you just look at this past quarter, north of 20 percent revenue growth, north of 20 percent earnings growth. And this is on a 200 billion dollar a year revenue company. Really, really impressive numbers. And I think if you zoom out and just compare Microsoft's growth rate to the average S&P 500 company, it's about three times higher, depending on where we are in the cycle. Yet you're not paying three times the multiple on, on their free cash flow. So we think there's still room to re-rate as big of a company as it is. Uh, we just see that the tailwinds powering the business is, is durable. And so we think 
it, it should continue to re-rate uh, higher going forward. Tyler, we're seeing this increased focus on gaming. Uh, gaming revenue now makes up about a tenth of the total. Um, of course, the Activision Blizzard um, acquisition. How high do you think that number gets? And does that prove, you know, does that improve profitability in the longer run? Yeah, so Activision obviously is a, is a, is a big acquisition. It's, it's by far their largest acquisition. Um, you know, assuming that goes through, that, that will, you know, in- increase the, the gaming revenue mix in, into the teens. Um, you know, I think it's, it's tough to say where, where does gaming evolve in, in five, 10 years? I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics that could play out. Um, you know, you, as you mentioned earlier, their, their game pass revenue, kind of more their subscription style gaming. Uh, has been a big growth driver for the company. And, you know, our thought is that with the the Activision uh, suite of, of studios, eventually that kind of moves to a subscription model um, where, where we think they could potentially uh, drive even higher revenue from things like in-app purchasing um, and, and wherever this, this theme of the metaverse uh, evolves to. So it uh, definitely will be interesting to watch, but I like the direction that it's heading more towards subscription, a little bit away from kind of the hardware uh, console business. So, so we do think over time that, that gaming margins can increase. Hey, Tyler, you know, um, they talked a lot about uh, pricing last night. Uh, clearly, they are a price taker. There's runway for pricing. But Nadella has made the argument several times that uh, technology in his space is disinflationary. How long can that argument go before those two things collide? Yeah, so I think it ultimately the, the price conversation is a tricky one. I mean, I think it ultimately comes down to value created, right? I think you know most enterprise companies that um, Microsoft is doing business with today, they, they have seen their Microsoft bills go up, no question. I mean, that's how this company is continuing to grow at such impressive growth rates. But I think the the difference is what what is the value that they're getting? You know, they're 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 being able to exit hosting their own data center and their own server and, and storage by moving to Azure. Uh, you know, on the productivity side, you see things like Teams. Um, you even in security with their their office business driving a lot of upsell there. Um, you know, I think I think customers are finding that that um, that ROI is 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 really high despite the the, the higher price. And I think you know over time. You know, our view is that IT budgets are, are going to continue to grow faster than GDP, just as companies continually digitize more manual-based processes. And I think you know, Microsoft is really well positioned to take advantage of that. All right. Tyler Radke, thank you. Thank you. Meantime, turning to chips, uh, Texas Instruments beating on the top and the bottom line for the fourth quarter, sending the stock up more than 4% this morning. The company planning to increase spending on industrial and automotive, which already make up nearly two-thirds of revenue. However, the semi-industry as a whole is having a rocky start to the beginning of the year. The Philly Sox Index off to its worst start to a year since at least 1994. Uh, they did guide above, John. Uh, Q1 revenue looking to looking for 4.5 to 4.9. Streets at 4.5. For. And we did get that commerce report yesterday, uh, just looking at demand over 2019, uh, double digit increase as the as chips are making their way into more and more devices. Yeah. As I talk to chip CEOs lately, I just get this feeling investors need to be careful on the narrative here. I mean, there's some very good demand signals, for example, from Microsoft last night talking about their uh, capital spending cycle in the cloud. They're planning on building out a ton of data centers across a lot of regions, D. But then at the same time, 
we see a shift in uh, investment in process technology and potentially uh, where that demand is going to go. Is it going to go toward mm -hmm. uh, more sophisticated process technologies, more sophisticated fabs, and away from some other fabs? What does that do to equipment makers who are used to supplying one area or mm -hmm. the other? I don't understand that yet, and I, I think investors need to be careful. You know, so many of these companies are talking about auto being the next opportunity. Texas Instruments on the call last night uh, saying, again, what we've heard from many others, that there's just going to be more chips and more cars than we saw five, ten years ago currently. But, John, it's good to put it in perspective. As we look at that SOX ETF, it's down, what, about 13 percent year to date relative to the rest of the tech sector, guys. It's not uh, not as terrible, I guess we could put it in this market environment. Yeah, 13.1 percent. Meanwhile, Microsoft and Texas Instruments, not the only names on the move today. We've got names to target in this volatile environment up next. Plus, on the heels of some positive results from parent company AT&T, Warner Media CEO Jason Kalar, Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Gut check on F5 Networks, the cloud security company, down this morning despite beating expectations for its fiscal first quarter. Supply chain constraints prompting the company to lower its fiscal 2022 guidance. Credit Suisse still likes the stock as a buy but does cut its price target this morning. Stock is down 20 percent year to date. Carl. Meantime, AT&T reporting earnings today. The company updating its timeline for the Warner Media and Discovery deal, saying it now expects to, expects to close in Q2. Company reports over 4 million new HBO and HBO Max subs last quarter for a total of nearly 74 million global subs. Our Julia Borston has a lot more with the CEO of Warner Media. Hey, JB. Thanks so much, Carl and Jason Kyler. Thank you so much for joining us today on the heels of that AT&T report. Great to have you here. Thanks, Julia. So, Jason, I want to get to the streaming numbers, but I want to start off first with the fact that this deal is now set to close in the second quarter. So my question to you is, how soon could we see the Warner Media and Discovery streaming assets combined? And what is this combination going to mean for you as an executive? 
So that's what we call a leading question here in the industry, Julia, as you know. Um, uh, it's too early to answer that, either of those questions, candidly, um, in terms of what a service could look like or services could look like post-close. Um, but, but, but clearly, when you look at the results of HBO Max, which I'm hoping we get into, um, I think the facts speak for themselves, which is uh, HBO Max is a leading streamer, uh, and, and clearly 2021 was a big year for it. Yes, and you added a better than expected 4.3 million subscribers in the fourth quarter. But what's interesting is we're just coming off of Netflix's results, and they added twice as many subscribers in their fourth quarter, but it was their guidance of much lower than expected numbers for Q1 that sent both Netflix shares lower and a number of other streamers as well. What are you seeing for the first quarter and for this year? Do you think you'll be able to maintain your momentum? Great question. I think what's most important is a little bit of context first, which is, Netflix is in 190 countries. Um, we're in 46 countries. HBO Max is in 46 countries. In the U.S. market, where we were live for the entirety of 2021, we grew much faster than Netflix. And so to your question of how do I feel about HBO Max and our growth and into 2022, I feel very good. Uh, and I say that most importantly because of the stories uh, that you're going to see from us in 2022. Uh, I feel great in terms of the product and the technology that we've been building. And then finally, we have a whole lot of geographic expansion that's coming in 2022 as well. And those things are unique to us. Yeah, certainly opportunity as you expand more internationally, but a question about the content spend that's necessary to sustain that kind of growth. You mentioned on the call that 2022 is going to be a peak spending year, but don't you have to keep on investing more and more, not just to help add new subscribers, but to really compete as the likes of Netflix and Disney Plus also ramp up their spending? Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, investments, uh, you know, there's obviously references to bottom line impact. Uh, but but when you think about the next 10, 20 years uh, in streaming, I do believe, Julie, you're going to see a very small list of services. And of course, I believe uh, HBO Max is going to be one of them that will continue to grow. And as it grows, the investment levels in the content will grow as well. That's separate from the bottom line impact. And so um, so when it comes to your earlier question, about how we feel about our investment in HBO Max stories. Um, there's no better team in the industry at translating investment dollars to stories that matter. And I say that based on third-party data points, whether it's critical nominations, critical awards, audience scores, et cetera. HBO Max is absolutely leading the field compared to Netflix and to Disney Plus when it comes to uh, the reception of our slate. Hey, Jason, it's Deirdre. Good morning. Another guest, I think it was last week, brought up this idea of content decay, that streaming hits like Squid Games and others, they're just so short-lived because there's so much content now. How are you thinking about the lasting impact of your hit series? I think about like a succession that you can go back to in terms of podcasts and the sort of universe that surrounds them and the characters, or whether that be gaming. How do you extend the lifetime of series? Yeah, so I think it comes down to one simple word, which is quality. And, um, and, and, and I'm not disagreeing with you, Deidre, in terms of there are certain series that do have a, a rapid decay. Um, our approach, and this really goes back 50 years in terms of the birth of HBO, has been um, very much a, folk, a, a focus on quality. And you mentioned Succession. I think that's a fantastic example of a series that has grown in relevance over time, not reduced in relevance over time. So with each successive season, we're seeing a lift on the first season, the second season, and obviously the just-completed third season. So it really comes down to the choices you make when no one's looking in terms of the stories you choose to tell. 
and how ambitious you are in terms of the quality bar, in terms of how you, t- how you tell them. And I feel very good about that for us. Hey, Jason, as for pricing, uh, I love this line that Stanky gave to Variety. Lo and behold, we are no longer the high-priced offer in the market after Netflix's move. Is there a sense that the, the market is coming to your pricing strategy? I think for, for a precious few, uh, uh, Carl, yes. Um, and I don't think there's many that can uh, enjoy that position, uh, but we're certainly one of them, and Netflix is certainly one of them. Uh, which is we have a $14.99 price point for the ad-free version of HBO Max. Netflix is around there, actually a little bit above us now, given their recent $2 price raise. I don't think there's going to be many services that, that have that kind of a value proposition. Right now there's two. Maybe there will be three worldwide. Um, but it, it, it's good to be in that, that group for sure. Jason, I want to make sure to get your thoughts on the theatrical business. Last year, HBO Max did get a boost from the fact that you did simultaneous distribution from your film's first run. As soon as they were in theaters, they were also on HBO Max. Now you're not doing that anymore. This year is different. Looking at the box office right now, do you wish you were continuing to do these simultaneous releases? And how much do you think HBO Max is going to suffer from not having access to those films? I am so glad you asked this question because this is uh, something I'd love to talk about. Um, I feel very, very good, uh, Julia, about the choices we've made for 2022. And let me explain why. Um, uh, first and most importantly, the Batman is going to start our theatrical year. It's coming in March. I believe it's going to be a fantastic date for us. Um, and also keep in mind that our entire slate uh, across uh, 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 Warner Brothers uh, motion pictures is going to come to HBO Max as well. So we're going to have an exclusive run in theaters. That's the only place that you'll be able to first see it. And then they will uh, become available on HBO Max. And to your second question about how do I feel about the performance of HBO Max in 2022 with that strategy, well, geez, I just point out, you know, uh, the first couple of weeks of 2022 already, which is Return to Hogwarts, Euphoria, um, Peacemaker, The Gilded Age, which premiered last night. We are on a creative run unlike any other period in the history of this company. So I feel very good about where we are and where we're going. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us today to talk about all of this. And we hope you will come back and talk to us about what's next as Warner Media and Discovery complete that merger. Thanks so much, Jason Kyler. Thank you, Julia. Well, we mentioned AT&T. Let's talk about another telecom name, J.P. Morgan, turning bearish on Verizon this morning, downgrading the name to neutral on, quote, increasing concern about subscriber growth for postpaid phones and the industry overall. Plus, the top tech names you should look at at a discount next. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
Positively FedEx. Let's reset. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Stocks trying to climb back to session highs here. We're up 350. We were up 500 and change on the Dow a while ago, uh, taking us back to levels of about a week ago. All three indices on pace for the best day since the beginning of the year. Top Nasdaq gainers got some cloud and semi names in there. Okta, Marvell, KLA and some top picks from Matrix Advisors, David Katz in a moment. But first, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Here's what's happening at this hour. Boeing shares are falling after the company took $4.4 billion in charges for 787 Dreamliner delays and other problems. CEO Dave Calhoun says that they've made good progress on the Dreamliner and that he's optimistic about future demand, but that Omicron has paused the industry's recovery. Strong comments on pricing are helping push Corning shares to their biggest one-day gain in eight years. The stock is up 13% after the company predicted that glass supplies will be tight this year and that it will see pricing for its products improve throughout 2022. Rising costs hurting profits at Kimberly-Clark. Quarterly results topped estimates, but earnings guidance for the year well below forecast. The company expects gradual margin improvement later in the year, though. And new home sales shot up nearly 12% last month to their highest level since February. At the same time, the median home price fell below $378,000. That's the lowest in six months. Carl, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. Let's get back to the rally this morning. NASDAQ's almost 2%, but still more than 14% off the record high, as you know. Our next guest says buy the sell-off. Still bullish on some mega-cap names like Microsoft, Alphabet, and Meta. Joining us this morning, Matrix Asset Advisors CIO David Katz. David, great to see you again. Good morning. Nice to be here. Um, to what degree is your interest in mega-cap tech driven by the sort of this valuation reset of the last few weeks? Uh, it's it's basically the fact that these are really good businesses with good growth prospects. The stocks are off 15%, and now they're at valuation levels that make for a very attractive entry point. Facebook uh, and Alphabet are selling under 20 times earnings. Microsoft had a robust quarter yesterday, robust outlook, and it's at about 27, 28 times next year's earnings. So you're able to get some really good businesses at the most attractive valuations that they've been at at some time. We went into this year pretty cautious on technology. But these names have come down to a point that all of a sudden they're attractive. Outside of mega cap, there are also a lot of companies that have been knocked down to 15 times earnings. TE Connectivity announced earnings today. Uh, very good, very good outlook. The stock is off sharply today. We'd be buying uh, on that weakness. It is a second derivative electronic vehicle play because they make chips for all of these cars. You're getting it at a great price. So there are opportunities. We are worried about the really high P.E. stock still. The 50, 100 times earnings are the ones that we'd avoid. Right. I wonder, do you think it's a little silly that the market is so finely tuned to a couple of percentage points on an Azure forecast? Or do you think that's to be expected in this period of churn regarding the Fed? It's a low conviction market, and, and there's tremendous uh, momentum, either good or bad. So, yes, it is silly, but that's clearly driving stock prices. Uh, so unless you have a great conviction before company reports earnings, we'd be a little bit wary about stepping in. But into any weakness, if you like a business and it's at a good valuation, you definitely can buy. The thing we'd point out is if you're at a lower valuation, you tend to withstand slight misses or beats much better and a company that's at 100 times earnings that lowers their expectations by a few percent. Those are the ones that are going to get creamed. David, give us some more insight into your gauge here, because, I mean, you're saying, um, you know, 27 and a half times, uh, you know, earnings is an attractive 
entry point for Microsoft. I remember a time where that wouldn't have sounded so attractive, even for a stock that's got some decent growth. Well, we would agree with that. So everything is relative. But within technology, we think technology is going to still be a growing area. And you want to look at it, um, you know, in terms of the playing field. So there are lots of good businesses at 40 and 50 times earnings. We think those are suspect. 27 times earnings for Microsoft. We think over time will do well. But for sure, we bought Microsoft probably uh, 25 years and years ago. We loved it down there. We still like it here. I'll point out an interesting stat. The uh, Russell 1000 growth just had its third best decade on rolling four quarters since 1979. So that's out of 133 observations. Uh, you, you've had the, the third best. Typically, after great decades, uh, growth and technology does not do nearly as well. Uh, subpar returns, sometimes even negative. So you're right. We're worried about overall growth over the next few years because we do think it's pricey, but there are opportunities within it. Right. And David, isn't this kind of exactly what the market is doing, though? We are seeing a re-rating in a lot of these high growth tech names. Kathy Wood said that, you know, innovation is on sale. How do you know where the bottom is and when valuations start to look attractive? Well, in terms of the high flyers, you're not going to know until you look back three months later. In terms of companies that are good businesses, but you can get them at 20 times earnings, then they have good prospects. Uh, we think that's worth the leap of faith. That's why we think like a Google or a Facebook, you can step in here. 12 months from now, you're going to look smart. Two months from now, two weeks from now, who knows what's going to happen. But the key is we don't like to pay 100 times earnings. We don't like to pay 20 times sales for something that you're buying on the come of what's going to happen a year or two. We like good earnings now that are going to be growing and not pay too much. We think that's the best way to navigate uh, the craziness that's going on in the technology sector. David, how are you approaching semiconductors and are you uh, looking differently at uh, the different names within it, depending on where they play in process technology and how you expect uh, the shift across different uh, customer industries, including automotive, to play out? So we're looking at less in terms of the various subsectors because we think the overall group is going to have some good momentum. We're, we're mostly focused, again, on valuation. So I had mentioned the TE connectivity, great prospects. They are a play on the automobile market, and you're getting it at a good price. The other one that we like a great deal right here and we would be buying is Qualcomm. They're another semiconductor that is, is doing great in terms of 5G, but they're now diversifying, moving into automobiles. They've had two or three very good wins there. We think it's a very good company. And the key here is it's at 16, 16 and a half times earnings. So again, very good prospects and you're not paying too much. Again, there are a lot of good semiconductor companies that are going to go grow great over time. But at 40 times earnings, you have no margin for error. David, great stuff. Uh, very actionable. Appreciate it. Always good to see you. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. Well, we just heard Cap's top picks. What about MKM out this morning calling Meta Amazon Alphabet its top buys for the year? That long Amazon call, a crowded one that has not worked lately. The stock is down almost 15% since the start of the year. Catch the full call at cnbc.com slash pro. We're back in two. Bitcoin was on its way up. Pro athletes, celebrities, CEOs, locations like El Salvador and Miami jumped into crypto for payments, salaries and more. Or they wanted to be seen 
as jumping into crypto at least. But with Bitcoin now cut about in half from those highs, what happens to those decisions? Kate Rooney's got a rundown of who's feeling the pain on the way down. Kate. Hey, John. Yeah, let's start with government officials. New York City Mayor Eric Adams was the most recent leader to convert his paycheck to crypto. It's split between Bitcoin and Ether. His roughly $6,000 biweekly paycheck, that's after taxes, was down by at least $1,000 just over the weekend. Miami's Mayor Francis Suarez, meanwhile, also said in November he was taking part of his salary in Bitcoin. He announced that when it was trading near an all-time high. And both mayors have vowed to make their cities crypto hubs and trying to show here that they've got skin in the game. Speaking of skin in the game, guys, though, let's talk about pro athletes. L.A. Rams wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr., he's heading to the NFC Championship on Sunday. A lot to be excited about, but his salary was also recently cut in half. OBJ agreed to take his $750,000 paycheck in Bitcoin Back in November, and since then, guys, Bitcoin's value has been pretty much cut in half, and that's not including taxes or fees. You've got Aaron Rodgers as well, converting part of his salary into Bitcoin. Number one draft pick Trevor Lawrence, he took his signing bonus in crypto. There's at least seven other NFL players doing this and a handful of NBA and MLB players. And for individuals holding crypto, they owe taxes on the price where they bought it, so that can cause even more pain if the price goes down. For companies, there's at least 27 public companies now holding Bitcoin on their balance sheets. MicroStrategy is by far the biggest. They've got the biggest holding, followed by Tesla, Galaxy Digital. You've also got Block, formerly Square, in the top 10 as well. And if the price of Bitcoin drops below the price where the company bought it, they have to take what's known as an impairment charge. So look out for that during quarterly earnings in the next couple of weeks. Finally, El Salvador, President Nayib Bukele has been adding Bitcoin to the country's balance sheet. Last Friday, he scooped up another 15 million of what he called really cheap Bitcoin. He also changed his Twitter profile picture to him wearing a McDonald's outfit. He's been a a very, very vocal Bitcoin bull on Twitter. The IMF, meanwhile, yesterday recommending that El Salvador remove Bitcoin as legal tender, citing the risks. Guys. Yeah, Kate, and that's not just an idle suggestion from the IMF. You kind of need to make the IMF happy uh, if you need loans and you're in El Salvador's position. I guess this raises the question about that whole store of value idea behind Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, we'll see where it ends up longer term, but uh, at least in the near term, uh, the value here is questionable. That's right. Well, in a cautionary tale here, too, it's one thing to invest in cryptocurrencies, but to, to take your salary in Bitcoin is an even bigger risk. There's, there's tax implications. And if you look at a lot of these NFL players and celebrities sort of getting into the crypto space, they've got a lot of influence. So this really is a good reminder that even athletes and celebrities who you know, might be making more than the average American who may be setting the trend by either investing in crypto, taking their, their salary in Bitcoin, It's a good reminder to people that there Mm -hmm. are risks and those who have been in the space for years and years have been reminding people that, yeah, this is the way it goes. There's a lot of volatility. A few years ago, the price dropped by 75 percent. So just a good reminder of the risk here. 
Though you can imagine, you do hear a lot of these bulls saying that they're going to be laughing 5, 10, 20 years from now. Uh, who knows, Kate? I wanted to ask you as well about the reported unraveling of DM. You know, if the Fed was uneasy with a Facebook-backed cryptocurrency, uh, stablecoin rather, what does that mean for the rest of the space? And I know there's like two ways of looking at this. The people that use stablecoins don't really want it to be regulated, but how will it continue if it's not regulated? Kind of break that down for us. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. One thing I, I hear about DM and that entire project, uh, another cautionary tale of working with the regulators. They were really a first mover in stablecoins. They kind of came up even before Circle, before Tether really had gotten a lot of traction. They were very early in the space, but they got on the wrong side of regulators because it was associated with Facebook. You had a lot of the big mm-hmm. companies backing out. They re-domiciled to Switzerland, so sort of took the approach of, you know, if it's not going to happen here in the U.S., we're going abroad. People look at that as an example. That actually doesn't work in this case. If you're going to build something from a U.S.-based company, try to get it approved by U.S. regulators. You need them on your side. And Facebook and Diem uh, sort of prove that through this. So that really is the takeaway from people you talk to in crypto. And just a, a reminder of these things are going to have to be regulated. That has been the approach that Circle has been taking. We talk a lot about Tether. Uh, they might be taking a different approach here, but it seems like the long game is central bank-backed digital currencies. They may actually make some of the private ones obsolete, and that was sort of what the Fed papers suggested. If there's a dollar-backed version, why do you need the private sector here? Mm -hmm. So I think it puts a little pressure on names like Circle. Yeah, okay, that's a great uh, round trip of all the constituencies that have a lot invested and uh, have an interest in terms of the price action here, including cities, corporates, countries. That's our Kate Rooney on uh, crypto today. Meantime, markets, uh, we're sitting just south of 44.30, which, by the way, is the 200-day on the S&P. Tech Check is back in a minute. Got a gut check on two key Apple suppliers ahead of earnings tomorrow. Skyworks and Corvo City opening a pair trade on the two neutral rated semiconductor stocks, sending shares higher this morning. The call is all about smartphone exposure for these names. City likes Skyworks better of the two with Corvo's earnings at risk over a larger exposure to China. We will continue to watch that trade. Don't go away. We're back in two. Turning back to Microsoft, all eyes are on the company's recent blockbuster acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The $68.7 billion all-cash deal aims to close next year. But as we've been talking about, it could face major regulatory hurdles. Our next guest served as CFO of candy crush maker King Digital, overseeing its own acquisition by Activision Blizzard in 2016. Joining us now, Madrona Ventures Group Managing Director Hope Cochran. Hope also sits on the board of Rec Room Hasbro and MongoDB. Hope, it is great to have you on the program. I wonder if we could start broadly. Where are we right now in terms of consolidation in the gaming space? Could we see even more M&A, perhaps involved? names like Roblox or Unity that have been part of this sell-off perhaps look more attractive? Or is the regulatory environment too difficult for potential acquirers? 
Yeah, those are all great questions and hard to speculate on. It was really exciting to see this acquisition by Microsoft. Um, I think just it makes so much sense in this industry. When we think about the whole gaming industry, there is so much uh, forward-looking thinking in terms of tech that's being adopted. I love this metaverse and being able to join into a game and building a community. I think there's a lot of opportunity for corporations to really utilize that technology. So definitely could see more acquisitions in this space as it's becoming more and more valuable and more you know, throughout the whole community. But in general, you are right to point out the regulatory environment is difficult, and we'll have to see how that goes with this acquisition. Right. So, Hope, given those two kind of opposing forces, the scramble for the metaverse, but the regulatory scrutiny as well, what do you think is the sweet spot? Where could we see acquisitions? What sort of ballpark are we talking about in terms of valuations? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to look at the valuation of this one, right? It was about 8x of revenue. I think that is a, a really nice valuation, but not too lofty. I think it makes tremendous sense for Microsoft as it looks to, you know, really utilize those properties within the Activision environment. Activision certainly has a lot of properties that can be well monetized. Um, you know, when you think about areas that could continue to evolve in gaming, I think of the media platforms. You know, where are they going to evolve and how are they going to include their watchers and users within their platforms and continue to grow? Could be interesting to include some gaming there. Hey, Hope, you know, so much of the conversation surrounds uh, chip engineering and reducing latency and high-speed graphics. But you ride the subway, um, I ride it every day, and there's inevitably someone playing Candy Crush. I just wonder if you think consumer tastes are simpler than the hype around the technology. You know, I think gaming is a big category, and I think it can serve all of those different constituents. There is definitely a place for the casual games, such as Candy Crush, to take those moments of time that you're underutilizing because you're sitting on a subway. Um, and then there's those moments where you have the immersive experience and really want that high fidelity experience. You know, you certainly don't want to be involved in a combat type gaming situation and have that latency be a problem. And so I, I do think the technology and gaming is always forward thinking. It's always the best in class pushing the envelope. Um, but there are, as you point out, lots of different sectors in gaming, whether we're talking about joining in the metaverse and building things together or playing casual games on the subway on your own. Two very different experiences. But Hope, it seems to me that those aren't, you know, strategically perhaps the, the most important pieces for Microsoft. I mean, Activision Blizzard throws off a ton of cash and then you've got things like Game Pass and, you know, cloud gaming that are just starting to take off and having those sort of tentpole assets within Microsoft's control could help them. Um, so, so I get that, too. But then isn't that part of the issue with regulators where they're going to say, perhaps, hey, Microsoft, you can't withhold these titles from Sony from others at the same time? Right. I mean, that will be an interesting evolution as to what Microsoft does with the Activision properties. Clearly, they have stated and they've reached out to Sony to ensure that the games can be available on all platforms. And we'll just have to see how that evolves. It makes tremendous sense to have the games accessible to many, many users. I mean, one of the assets that I think has been underplayed that Microsoft acquired with the Activision asset is the amount of users. So we say mouse, monthly active users. You know, Activision has 400 mouse. Um, a lot of those coming from that King property, I think 250 million of them come from the King games. 
Um, this is a tremendous asset that they're gaining, and they want those mouths to be engaged and those players to utilize the games and access them in any way they can. So, you know, from a business perspective, I think it makes tremendous sense. They continue to allow those games to be accessible through all different platforms and distribution mechanisms, and we'll just have to see how they, you know, continue to evolve with that strategy. Hey, Hope, finally, as a VC focused on gaming, where are you deploying capital right now, whether that be developers or in-game payments or the chip space? Where's the opportunity as the big get bigger, like Microsoft and Meta? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, in general, I think you have to step back and say the premise is that gaming is getting bigger, right? So assuming that we think that this is a vertical that has a lot of growth in front of it, which I fundamentally do, then you kind of go, where do I want to play? You know, right now, I do think this ability to be in a community, I don't even want to use the word metaverse because I'm not sure any of us really understand what that means yet, (laughs) but the ability to join into a digital environment and build things with friends and have a social experience, I think is really an important uh, thesis right now in gaming, building up this creator economy so people can go and build their own games within a game environment is an area that we are really looking at currently. And, you know, we we mentioned Rec Room. I'm involved with that company. Um, That is exactly what that is, a place for people to come and be social and, and really have that community experience. So that's an area that we're really excited about. Hope, thanks for being with us again. We hope to talk to you again soon. Hope Cochran from Madrona Ventures. Thank you. And everybody, feel free not to use the word metaverse. Meanwhile, Intel, Tesla, Samsung, more reporting results after the bell today. What to expect in a moment. But first, take a look at Peloton. Down again today in an up market. You can see it's down slightly, a little more than a percent, but it's now down 30% in January. Tech check back in a moment. Getting some breaking news from the Supreme Court. Let's get to Eamon Javers. Carl, that's right. NBC News is reporting that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer will retire. Breyer is 83 years old and he has resisted calls to retire from liberals who want President Joe Biden to have a Supreme Court nomination slot that he can use this year. Apparently, Breyer has decided uh, to move forward with that retirement now, and it sets up a political battle here for President Biden, who will have the opportunity to nominate a Supreme Court justice as a result, but won't have the opportunity to reshape the politics of the Supreme Court. That's because Breyer, who is viewed as a pragmatic jurist, is one of the members of the liberal wing of the Supreme Court. So if Biden appoints a similarly inclined Supreme Court justice, there will still remain the same number of justices on the Supreme Court. This was apparently a tough decision for Breyer, who had sort of agonized about it uh, in public for several months and published a book earlier this year on his life and his experiences. He was uh, somebody who was anxious to be on the Supreme Court. He was appointed by Bill Clinton uh, back in the 1990s, and he was so eager to be appointed to the Supreme Court, guys, uh, that when he was interviewed by Bill Clinton, he was in the hospital due to a bike accident at the time. He left the hospital in order to take the interview with the President of the United States, showing how determined he was to get on the court and stay on the court until 2022. And we'll see what the politics are now uh, for President Biden in selecting a successor uh, to Justice Stephen Breyer. Back over to you guys. Wow. Uh, long talked about uh, and so many different dynamics regarding Roe and Ginsburg and so forth, Eamon. Uh, thank you. We're holding on to gains. Two hours till the Fed presser. Tesla tonight. Let's
You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.